and welcome back to the TRK Mailbag. My name is Tom Savage. You're listening to TRK Premium. I hope you're having a good week. Um, I've got a build-up of questions over the last week and a bit uh, that I am currently working my way through. I will get to most of them in this podcast. If you would like to send in a question to the TRK Mailbag, two really good ways to do it. Number one, send it into info at 3 with TRK uh, Mailbag in the subject line and your question. Um, in the body of the email <laughs> and then uh, you can go to the TRK Secret Club uh, and onto the TRK Mailbag channel uh, on there and ask a question and uh, have some conversations with other people in that channel as well I think the first one that comes in here uh, that I'm going to get to is from DFIN Photography uh, is Andy Farrell a lucky coach or a good coach discuss and a question off the back of that then as well um Will how Ireland go at the World Cup uh, determine if Andy Farrell is a good coach or a great coach? Uh, we've won slams, beaten teams south of the equator in run-ups before, but cracked a bet at the World Cup. For him to truly separate himself from Kidney and Schmidt, does he need to be the coach that breaks that ceiling? Um, I think Andy Farrell is a good coach. You talk to any player who has been coached by him and they all talk about the same kind of stuff, that he's inspirational, that he is an incredibly good coach who has a way of kind of getting into your head to a certain extent to make you play uh, above yourself and that he's great in meetings he's great before the games great at halftime a great guy after the game as well Uh, I think a lot of that comes from the aura that Andy Farrell has as a as an individual like as a man as, as a former player himself as a coach, he's kind of been there and, and done that with, with with everything in this game, really, you know. So, like, I think he's absolutely a good coach. I think all good coaches are lucky coaches as well. Um, I, I think that when you look at where Andy Farrell was when he came out of the England squad um, after that World Cup in 2015, I think at the time he was unlucky and Stuart Lancaster was unlucky in that build-up to that World Cup. Um, unlucky, you know, in in the sense that I think he's a far better coach than what the World Cup 2015 at home might suggest about Stuart Lancaster and Andy Farrell. I think, you know, and, and Graham Rowntree, I think history has proven that in the in the interim. But, like, you need a bit of luck. You need to, there are certain games that you have to win and they, they can often be in the bounce of a ball and they can define the rest of your, well, a, a, a period in your career that can go on to define you to a certain extent. I mean, you look at the reputation that Stuart Lancaster had after the 2015 World Cup, and it was, you know, a bit of a PE teacher. Um, you know, he, he, you know, good squad builder, that he was a good, um, you know, a good man, you know, a, a very likable guy, great at working with younger players, but that he lacked the, I suppose, the top-end mentality or the top-end you know, the top few percent as a coach to get his team over the line uh, when it came to England. Um, that Eddie Jones, when he came in afterwards, immediately turned that England team into uh, one that was winning slams, winning Six Nations and and so on and so forth and became a, a far more formidable, um, op- uh, you know, a, a team, I suppose, from a winning perspective. But I think Stuart Lancaster's fingerprints were all over that team to a certain extent. Um, Andy Farrell can be kind of given the same thing. You, you mean, you look at him coming out of that World Cup his stock was fairly low uh, to the point when you know Joe Schmidt got him in uh, to the Ireland setup after that World Cup you know I think there was a lot of you know not, not raised eyebrows but there certainly wasn't a massive outcry 
in England that I recall saying, geez, I can't believe that that guy's after going to Ireland. It was sort of like, oh, well, you know, okay, we're very happy with Eddie Jones. And, 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 and that was that. Um, and, you know, the team that he would bring in and the multiple backroom members he would bring in over, like, that's kind of what they were looking to try and go with. So Andy Farrell, when he came into the Ireland setup, I think it's kind of like the perfect system for him as a, as a coach. He doesn't get a whole lot of hands-on time with the players, which means that when they come in, everything's very intense and very condensed to a certain extent. Um, he's got a great relationship with the senior players. That's, again, a sign of a good coach. And, and again, all coaches look to try to do that. We're talking about lucky coach and good coach. I think Johan van Hron is a very good example of an unlucky coach who is also a good coach. Like, van Hron is a good coach. He understands the game very, very well. I think that if he has a small bit of extra luck with um, Munster's injury list in the time that he was at the ready, you know, ready to win leagues or trophies with with, with with Munster, I think he would have won at least one if he had the likes of R.G. Snayman and uh, Damien Gillende available at the exact same time. Munster probably would have won one or Pro 14 or whatever else in his time. Um, at least one because you know we we got to semi-final stages to lose as many semi-finals and finals as we did like that doesn't come down to oh well Leinster are just 100% better all the time you surely win one out of five or whatever else just off the fact that you know you, you win some and you lose some you know like I feel that the Munster side that uh, Van Horn had was more than good enough to win a trophy and to beat Leinster in any one of those semi-final or final like especially the one in Co- before COVID like or you know it was actually in COVID where it was the lockdown uh, Pro 14 final that just happened right after the Six Nations that was the perfect opportunity for Munster to win that but didn't have the firepower and I think again if you have a fit RG Snayman then maybe you get the extra few percentage points that you need or a fit Joey Carberry for the majority of his of his tenure there maybe, maybe it's different but that's a kind of a good idea between the idea of a lucky coach and a good coach. So when I look at Andy Farrell, you can't argue with his results um, as of late. Now, in the last two years, he's beaten every team that it's possible to beat if you want to win a World Cup. For me, you know, France, South Africa, New Zealand, um, Australia, England, you know. Um, I, I think looking at his run in the last year, that win down in New Zealand in 10 years it's going to look outstanding um, but again you look at Clive Woodward he won down in New Zealand as well and it's not you know he's not viewed any more positively not that I'm comparing Farrell to Woodward I'm just saying that time moves on and the game moves on always so I, I think that in context Andy Farrell is a very very good coach but if you want to talk about him as being the best Irish coach of all time I'm not sure you look at just four years as the main man as being the, the defining factor in that. I wouldn't put Declan Kidney in that conversation, really. For me, it's Joe Schmidt as number one. Just with what he what he took from an Ireland team who were maybe overdue a slam in 2009. And to be fair, Declan Kidney got them over the hump there. Um, but I, I think looking at getting Ireland from one spot to the other, Eddie, Sullivan does, Eddie O'Sullivan deserves to be in that conversation for me. But then you look at... Joe Schmidt I think he really kind of pushed Ireland on to the next level as well and I think that the guy to coach Ireland to their first ever win over the All Blacks for me is bigger than beating this current All Black side in 
um, in New Zealand. I feel they're a, d- a deeply flawed side, far less flawed than Ireland, or far more flawed than Ireland are, rather. And to beat them down there was merely Ireland performing to the level that we would expect of them, which in itself is a reflection of, of how good Ireland are under Farrell. But it's also a reflection of how far the All Blacks have fallen for me. I think back in 2016, I think the All Blacks, as they were then, were a far more formidable team. And I think that um, for Joe Schmidt to coach Ireland to that win, for me, holds more value because of the relative difficulty of both games and both achievements, for me. Um, So I think Andy Farrell, if he can get Ireland to a semi-final of the World Cup, gets into that conversation for sure, I would say. And again, we talk about lucky coaches and good coaches. I look at Joe Schmidt's Ireland in 2015, um, going into that game against Argentina, who we should have beaten, but we're missing five of our core players at at, at that time. O'Mani, O'Brien, O'Connell, Sexton, and I think it was, um, was this uh, Jared Payne, out with injury at the time. And like, that's almost impossible to win. A, a big knockout game with five of your best players gone. Like, that again is a unlucky coach in the moment. I think that were, were, were three of those available. We'll say O'Connell, we'll say O'Brien, and we'll say Sexton available. I think Ireland win that game. But that's neither here nor there. And it's coming up on 10 years ago now. So, look, I, I think that Farrell is 100% a good coach. He has been a bit lucky in some regards. Um, bit unlucky in others but I think that for him to get to that separation point I think winning the World Cup obviously would put him into that conversation and that bracket straight away on his own if he gets to a semi-final and loses it I think that puts him into that conversation uh, alongside Schmidt but yeah no I, I don't think it's a question for me that that um, Andy Farrell is a, is a very very good coach um, and uh, this next couple of weeks in the World Cup will tell an awful lot. Um, this question here is from Cork Boy. This is from um, the aftermath of Gavin Coombs being released from the Irish squad uh, to uh, two or three weeks ago now. What does Jack Conan, uh, I can only play eight, bring that Gav doesn't? It's kind of getting funny at this stage. Um, I think what we've seen from Ireland in the last while is that they are the ultimate system team. They are the system first always and I think that one of the conversations that have come up because I've got a lot of questions that are coming up about the 7-1 split uh, from the spring box and stuff like that Um, one of the things that we've seen about Ireland is is that and I think a lot of the media are finding are catching up on this as well at the moment is that there is prime Ireland which is basically Leinster with their weaknesses buffed out and then there is the other Irelands that play that are nowhere near the same level, that are not as efficient, that don't operate with this sort of the one mind that you will see Ireland operating with um, when it's Sexton and the whole, you know, basically the, the team in your head that, you, that you're naming right now, if I ask you to name prime Ireland right now, you know, the Ireland you would expect to play any te- game over the last 18 months, that's a must-win game, who would it be? That's the prime Ireland team. And like when you have um, a team like that who have such high levels of understanding, high levels of cohesion, there are certain roles you have to play. And when I look at what does Jack Conan bring that Gav doesn't, Jack Conan brings a lot of system familiarity. 
in that the way Jack Conan plays number eight and the way that Gavin Coombs plays number eight when he's playing at his best for Munster are two separate roles. One of the key things I think I've discovered and, and watching Ireland in depth over the last year is that the, the, like the differences in system between Ireland and other teams is profound. And once you understand why that is, every selection decision that Andy Farrell makes makes sense. Like, I think when we look at the Irish back row, for example, that has been the prime Ireland back row, O'Mani, Conan, Van der Fleer and Doris. All three have different roles in that system, but they've all got, they've all got similar profiles. They're all very mobile, right? Jack Conan covers a lot of ground. Now, he does play a little bit heavier than some of those other back row players. He's currently listed at 110. Now, Gav Coombs is listed at 110 kg as well, but a bit, I think he's actually a, a bit heavier than that. Gavin Coombs plays like a lock in the Irish system. That's what Gavin Coombs does best when he's playing for Munster. If you transplant Gavin Coombs from Munster into Ireland and you were to just juxtapose them, what Gavin Coombs does well kind of matches more onto James Ryan it matches more onto the likes of Ian Henderson of Ty Byrne Joe McCarthy guys like that that's what Gavin Coombs does well in that system for Munster Munster actually play quite a bit heavier than Ireland do and Leinster do this is kind of something I've I've, I've been coming to like the realisation to certainly in the run from um, March on is that I would often talk about Munster playing with a three lock pack but when I look back at the data about who did what where Munster were playing with a three lock pack for the majority of last season with the way that Gavin Coombs was being used and anything that they do like other than that Munster have played with a four lock pack against the Bulls for example in in, uh, in, in Thoma Park back in November or October whenever it was because Gavin Coombs plays like a second row for Munster with the ball in hand forget about the scrum forget about that even though he has stepped in and scrummaged there before but forget about the scrum when you look at how he plays it's very similar to a second row forward and the way that we use Omani or Hodnett or Kendallin well Kendallin is slightly different he's more of a blended player but Hodnett in particular they play that edge role that you will often see the likes of Jack Conan doing for, for Ireland and for Leinster so like in in that regard like they're two very very different players and like a lot of the conversations that I think that have been had over the last year or whatever else I I feel myself that I've been wrong in these discussions as well because you look at what Ireland do and what Ireland want to do to other teams that requires all of your your tools in your in, in your in your in your team who all do different things you need to have the right tool for the right job so Ireland kicked the ball an awful lot way more than a lot of teams playing this game in, at test level that means you're covering an awful lot of ground right now the way Ireland use it on transition then is that we also handle the ball an awful lot because there's teams who kick the ball a lot but they don't handle the ball a lot off the back of it so that's how they manage their cardio Ireland have a very like you know uh, from a cardio perspective exhausting way of playing which is we kick long we chase hard on transition. We go through long sets. We do, you know, a lot of defensive breakdown entries as well on those sets to try and encourage a kickback from the opposition. When they do, there's a lot of pressure on our forwards, back row in particular, to travel to, to make a lot to make up a lot of ground to cover that initial three and two that you will see 
from Ireland when they go on transition where you've got there's a lot of passing that's meant to be done in that space but you've got to get back to the right depth to do that with the volume that Ireland kick at that means that you're doing a lot of running there's lots of ground you have to cover and if you're not covering the exact ground that they need you to and you're not in the exact place that they need you to to fill the exact job that you need to do then your utility for that Ireland team goes way down Doris, Vanderfleer, Omani and Conan are really good at covering ground and I think that like mobility and moving the opposition around that's only part of it the amount of, of work and distance that you have to cover while also being incredibly accurate with your breakdown work as well and with your handling that is a really vital part of what they want at the moment from their back row players and those roles so like that could well change like if Ireland want to go to a heavier style of rugby all of a sudden I think Caelan Doris straight away does not look as good as what he does at the moment because the system that Ireland play at the moment is perfectly suited to what Caelan Doris is really good at the minute that you have to play a heavier style of game lighter forwards like Doris and he is a lighter forward he's I think he's 106 or 107 kg at 6'4 and he's perfectly tailored at that at that size all of a sudden he becomes a bit of a luxury player and you know you look at the way that that, that Munster play you know you'd accommodate Doris right you, ha- you, you would have to but he would have to do a lot more tight carrying and he would have to do a lot more heavy work than what he does at the moment and I think one of the things you would look at in in that regard is look at how Leinster looked when La Rochelle were putting them under big pressure in that Heineken Cup final did Caelan Doris stand out to you no he didn't he had a fairly average game and that's been true the majority of the time whenever they've played La Rochelle because when the heavy letter starts to go up and he can't get those mid-transition breakdown turnovers which he's very good at getting he looks a little bit light, a little bit underpowered. And that's just... and look, Because not every player is suited to play every variation of this game. And people read that as a criticism, an inherent criticism of the player. I felt that Andy Farrell could have done with a guy like Gavin Coombs if he wanted to change up his system. But they don't want to change up their system. They don't want that alternative option. They want to play what brought him to the dance in the first place and to just do that better. And to do that... You need a very, very mobile um, back five. I looked at Kian Prendergast and when I went back and I watched the England game and I looked at his coverage rather than his breakdown, his breakdown output was okay. It was in the realm of being, you know, somewhat Caelan Doris adjacent. But he wasn't covering the ground the same way. And that will cost you in this current team because everything that we do is based on tempo, tempo, tempo. They will, we will dictate the tempo to the opposition because if they start dictating the tempo to us, we're fucked. And that's kind of where, what we're Ireland are at at the moment. We dictate the tempo first by our kicking. We get teams moving. They're always playing on our terms. We're moving them around. We're hitting and sticking and we're not giving them an opportunity to basically just pin us down and start fucking us up. And that's the main battle that Ireland will have to be facing with the Springboks is in keep them moving prevent them from pinning us against the the cage to give it a fucking UFC or an MMA um, style um, of reference there and you know making their weight count Ireland at the moment are playing very mobile our second row none of those guys are over 120 kg Um, three of the Springboks guys are Um, 
and then you've got Peter Steph Toy who's close to that as well as their kind of half lock you know style you know guy you look at Sia Khaleesi again a relatively heavier player as well Jasper Visa is I think he's coming up like he's heavier than a lot of Ireland's second rows like the likes of Ty Byrne he's listed as heavier no matter whether he is or not I know these are a notorious house of lies but it does illustrate the size the power that the Springboks play with and how their system is different than Ireland's as a result I mean you you, you pick the players that suit your system and, and I think that's very much what Ireland have been doing over the last while and then it comes down to the question of well what does your like basically it's the battle of the systems did you pick the right one and I think that's what World Cup, you know, this this World Cup this year is so interesting is because there's so many different systems coming into it. Someone's going to be right. So we will see. Um, this one is from Ed Recker. Um, Ed Recker. I kind of said that very like in the parish priest saying Nintendo up in the pulpit. Um, if Ireland perform well at this World Cup... Could it be a bad thing long term for Irish rugby outside of Leinster? If it proves successful to double down on having almost all players in a squad from Leinster for cohesion, then does that impact player retention and recruitment for all of the provinces? Um, Ireland winning a World Cup would be a net benefit even with that. Um, the numbers that it would drive um, at local level, provincial level would be massive. You know, it, that that's hard to, to understate. Um it, it's actually hard to overstate sorry how how much of a of a bonus that would be for Irish rugby across all levels once we get to the top level stuff though that, like that that's the grand big picture it will if it's a case that Leinster are the basis for Irish rugby going forward where it's Leinster plus you know if Leinster are the main core plus a few extras from elsewhere that will mean that it'll be harder for the provinces in general to retain players especially if they're at the level where they would be considered able for test rugby which is a lot more players than what i think you know a lot of the media or even some people in the high performance center uh in dublin there's a lot more of those players in the provinces than what they think and when guys have options like john clain and, and and ben healy eventually they will take them if they feel that there's no route to test rugby um through the Irish jersey and if they have options they will get those offers and sometimes they'll take them and I think that that's just a natural byproduct we've seen that in New Zealand we've seen that in Australia where if guys are not breaking into the test um, environment that they look to take up offers elsewhere and that may well be the case down the line it's it's very hard to say um, I, I think that at the moment though you look at Leinster's not, not not reliance but the reliance that Ireland has on Leinster at the moment that at the moment is not a net benefit for Leinster I think it helps them with central contracting because um, guys end up on central contracts that frees up money for Leinster to retain more players but I think uh, like the, more, the longer that goes on and the more that they rely on a certain core of players that starts to affect their own talent as well where there's obvious roadblocks in the squad that they will never be able to overcome unless there's an injury and that will hurt them when it comes to retaining players themselves so there's always an upside and a downside to this I think we saw in the 2000s with Munster that basically once the IRFU and once the an Irish head coach has a core of players to work around 
he sticks with those players and regardless of how they're playing they will get precedence at provincial level always they will get the minutes to, to get them warmed up for November or for the Six Nations or whatever else and that's how it works and it'll it like I think Leinster are seeing that at the moment with the reliance that Ireland have on the likes of Andrew Porter on Dan Sheehan on James Ryan on Josh van der Fleer on Caelan Doris even on Johnny Sexton that has an impact on Leinster as well where like it's you're more likely to get injured at that level because the the collisions are so much heavier and so much more intense like and for a guy like Andrew Porter like he's going to play so many minutes for Ireland this year and so many hard minutes as well that affects his ability to impact games for Leinster because he can't play all of them but he will play all of the ones that he has to for Ireland it'll be Leinster who'll have to make that work they'll have to kind of well you can't play him here he's on a cool down so because again because the area if you were paying his contract they just uh, they have to abide within reason as, as to what um, what is instructed from from the high performance unit so there's there like there's positives and negatives like and I think that all it takes is losing one key unit um, and things can start to turn around like I think in the long term I don't think it's outrageous to look at Craig Casey and Jack Crowley as being a potential long-term uh, partnership for Ireland at 9 and 10. If that's the case, then that brings a lot of Ireland's back row into national focus. And midfield also brings them into national focus. And then your wingers also get a bit of, a bit more of a look because they'll want to double down on, well, these guys have a relationship week to week to week. Can we use that at test level? Because... Guys age out very quickly. Where, you know, um, you look. Because I, I, th- I think I saw a squad list the other day for Ireland, and it, it happened to be listing the, the the ages of all the players as well. And the more I was going down through it, I was like, Christ, these guys are a lot older than what I had than what I had um, than what I had assumed. And it's look, it's not that they're ancient all of a sudden, but like, I remember just thinking that, you know, when when you consider how like time moves especially from a rugby perspective like guys get old very quickly like and and your your window in this game can maybe be four or five years at the very highest level not just some guys like Keith Earls who you know play for 10 plus years but like for a lot of guys you have your your top end window where you're a top top player and then you still you're still playing but you're not the same level of player. We can see that all through the game. But like just having a quick look here through the Ireland squad, guys who are older than what I thought, right? Now I know Keane Healy was 35, but Andrew Porter's coming up on um, 27. He's going to be 28 next year. I had it in my head he was younger. Um, yeah, you've Dave Kilcoyne, 34. Finley Beelham's 31. Uh, Jeremy Lockman is 28, but like you know relatively young for a prop but still I mean I don't think he's got a whole lot of miles in the clock like Tyke Furlong is already 30 and he'll be 31 this year now he's got a lot of miles in the clock I think and I think we look at his performances over the last year and all of a sudden he, he doesn't look like the Tyke Furlong of 2017 2018 I mean he just doesn't he doesn't even look like the Tyke Furlong of 2019 but that's kind of to be expected because he's a massive like he's a 125kg athlete so like he is going to the wear and tear is going to be heavier in him um, but you, again you, you just look at um, like Rob Herring is 33 
Ian Henderson is 31. Like, he's going to be 32 in, in, in February. Uh, James Ryan is 27. Again, I, I, I know himself and Porter were the same under-20s group. So, I still had it in my head that, that Porter was younger than him. So, for whatever reason. But just going down through the line, like, Tyke Byrne is 31. Like, he's going to be 32 in January. Like, there's a lot of these guys who are getting to that stage where, like, where they're getting into their, like, early to mid-30s. Like, I was talking about Peter Armani. He's, like, 33. He's going to be... Um, yeah 33 he's going to be 34 next year I think it is or this year maybe one of the two <laughs> one of the two but like you look at Josh Vanderfleer for example like he's 31 next April so like none of these guys are are are, are of the of the top players they're closer to the end of their career than they are at the beginning like we look at like Henshaw for example is, is 30 31 next summer Gary Ringrose is 28, but he'll be 29 in in, uh, in January. Still in their peak years, but it, time moves so quickly when it comes to these guys. And like I said, you've only got a, 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 a certain window at the top end of the game. And like in the next cycle of four years, there are going to be guys there that are going to be dropping out. Like you look at Gibson Park is going to be 32 this season. So like there will be opportunities because when guys get to that age, there's going to be drops in performance level, drops in fitness, and there's going to be opportunities for other guys to step in. And it's like, you've got to win the next cycle to kind of get more of those central contracts. That's what every province is trying to do. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's something that stuck out to me lately when I was thinking, geez, a lot of these guys are a little bit older than what I thought about, um, than what I thought. But like, I, I think that looking at, at Ireland in the long term, if Ireland were to win a World Cup, the net benefits would just vastly outweigh any of those small few percentage points um, I think ultimately would end up benefiting all the provinces regardless um, Eugene C says with Ireland having gone all in on cohesion and system players mainly from Leinster do you think Ireland might decline quicker than Leinster due to the ageing at the top tier of Leinster talent Ireland relies on That's a, I didn't actually see that point when I was making my uh, my, my previous points there I think both will be tied um, but Leinster will have the option of signing in guys eventually Um like the thing is with central contracts and the thing is we saw this at Munster as well is that when you have a lot of guys who are centrally contracted that means that they are of vital importance to Ireland so they will always be given precedence at provincial level so like it's difficult to get top level talent when you have guys of national importance in your team we, we saw that at Munster it was difficult to get permission to sign those guys unless it was an area where you didn't have guys of national importance and that, that again, when you're looking at Leinster at the moment, even going into the next two years or whatever else, I look at Porter, Sheehan, um, Furlong. They're not going anywhere. They're all on central contracts or will be. Uh, Ronan Kelleher is a guy who's number two there. I, I, you know, I think there could be like there could be the potential of a move there as well if he's not starting a ton, ton of games. But look, that, that, that's for down the line. It's only speculation. Um, you have James Ryan. Uh, you have Joe McCarthy who's going to be in that conversation very soon. You've Ryan Baird who's in that conversation right now. You've Josh Vanderfleer who's signed a new three-year central contract. He's not going anywhere. You've Caelan Doris who's uh, certainly deserving of a central contract and I imagine will be on one relatively soon. That means that that is fairly rigid there. So for Ireland, like you want that unit playing as much as possible for Leinster because that unit will more or less be playing for Ireland there or thereabouts there's going to be a few areas that'll be in competition for Ireland or whatever else but for the most part like you want that unit playing together so 
that limits your scope of bringing in guys to improve if performance levels start to dip. Because remember, these guys are on central are on central contracts. It is incredibly difficult to be downgraded from your status in Ireland if you're on a central contract. It's so difficult. I can only think of one or two occasions when that happened. One was Devin Toner, but he was in his mid-30s at the time. And Jacob Stockdale lately, but he was buckled with injury for the majority of his time. And other than that, you will be given precedence and you will be given every opportunity to get yourself back into shape or whatever else because it's the national team depends on it. So that's the, I suppose that's the the risk for Leinster on top of the bonus of having these guys paid for by the IRFU. To a certain extent, your money burns a hole in your pocket, but also it does create that hard ceiling where those guys are on central contracts. You're not going to overtake them. So if there's a, a kind of an established incumbent that's second in the in the in the chart or whatever else, it's difficult to get into the squad for those big match days. I mean, I think we've actually seen that at Leinster already, how difficult it is for Kieran Frawley to get into those big Heineken Cup games where you prove yourself. It's very difficult for him to get into that into that um, uh, into that discussion because the opportunity was there for him to be the de facto backup for um, Henshaw, for example. But Leinster chose to sign Charlie Natai, and like that limits straight away unless Natai is injured, which to be fair he was for a while. That limits the opportunities for Frawley for Osborne to a certain extent. Um, when it comes to getting minutes in the big games unless there is a raft of injuries so it's got pluses it's got minuses but for Ireland uh, I think that the cohesion factor and the fact that other teams will be resetting and refreshing their squads at a much higher level than what we will post World Cup because that's just how it works in Ireland will mean that we will be you know very competitive um, up until we're not and then there, there there will need to be a reset of some kind but that's coming regardless because Sexton's gone after this World Cup there's you know a lot of guys are aging out as I was pointing before so there will be opportunities for guys to step in and make plays especially if they're big players for their province in the next two years that's when you want to be making your case I think and on the aftermath of a, a big build to this to this World Cup there will be a refresh in certain positions and being in the right place at the right time is going to be very important, I feel. Um, Con T94 says, um, it got me thinking, would Jack O'Sullivan look better in the Leinster system than he has at Munster, given his style? And likewise, could a scaled up version of him make Irish quads? Yeah, no, I think Jack O'Sullivan is that sort of combo flanker that Leinster use an awful lot of. He's got a good skill set, um, very mobile, very fit, decent size as well. Um, but I think the biggest problem for him has been injury. Um, I think he could have played a bigger role at Munster in the last couple of years had he been able to stay fit. But I think we've seen that if guys can't stay fit, um, if they can't stay fit over a certain period of time, then after a while it becomes very difficult for them to be relied on because I think you're looking at you know coaches want players that they know they can depend on. And if you're injured, even though it might not be your fault, they naturally start to go well we can't really rely on this guy to stay fit and as a result you kind of end up cycling down the depth chart almost by default until ironically if there's a run of injuries elsewhere you can start to make your case it's a bit like Will Connors at Leinster great player he's obviously played for Ireland as well I think Leinster could have built around him in the same way that 
Maybe if Dan Levy never gets injured, Josh van der Fleer doesn't get the same opportunities. Maybe. Um, or Caelan Doris finds it a bit harder to get into the Ireland squad or the, the Leinster squad. Um, but I think injuries play such a big part that um, there'll always be moments for him. But I think Jack O'Sullivan certainly would look good in the Leinster system because of how mobile he is and uh, what a skilled handler of the ball he is. But he was going very well for Munster in pre-season too. There's roles there for guys like that in the Munster system as well. So we'll, we'll see how he goes if he can stay fit this, this upcoming season. Um, uh, this one is from Mike um, you're named the head coach of an Ireland possible selection to play against Ireland in a World Cup warm-up you can only select players outside the current squad Ireland have picked for the World Cup which I'm going to include now is the uh, the 33 that were named in the Ireland squad you have two months to prepare and get as much cohesion as you can and you can pick your coaching team from all the current provincial coaches what's your 23 and what side of play do you use to try and beat Ireland very interesting I think Andrew Goodman is actually doing this at the moment for Samoa <laughs> or did it, did it at the weekend um, I would go with a heavy on ball style of rugby that's what I would go with and assuming everybody's fit um, my coaching team would be um, head coach Graham Rountree defence coach um, Dennis Leamy attack coach Mike Prendergast um, I would go with um, David Senecal I know he's gone now from Connacht but I would go him for line coach um, I would go with um, Rounchy would do scrum coaching as well and I would also take um, as my director of rugby and spite enthusiast Leo Cullen as my sort of director of rugby overall selector if we're going to go for the match day 23 to beat this Ireland team um, I would go with in the front row I'm going to start with um, Josh Richerly. I want to have uh, an aggressive scrummager there, a good handler, and I like the size he's put on as of late. Um, I am going to go with... Um, I'm going to start with Dermot Barron in the second row, uh, or in the in uh, as, as hooker, um, and I'm going to have Tom Stewart as the backup, um, not backup, as the alternate hooker there. Um, my rotation on the loose head side... Uh, I am going to go with Dennis Buckley. Um, again, I'm going to double down on the aggressive scrummaging and the his ability, I think, to really threaten and get at that Irish scrum, uh, Porter, um, not Porter, uh, Bealham, and uh, Furlong in particular. I like Dennis Buckley's chances of getting in and upsetting those guys in the scrums because I want a lot of scrums. Um, I am also going to use a time machine here as well my second row is going to be uh, Jean Klein uh, is going to be my tight head lock um, I'm going to put him in the scrum behind at um, tight head prop I'm going with Stephen Archer and I will be using Roman Salanoa as my backup um, tight head prop I'm going with a lot of monster guys here because I feel that we're going to have a built in cohesion we need to get a lot of unit familiarity there and I'm going to go with John Klein in that possibles as the tight head lock uh, and my uh, other second row that I'm going to have there is Ross Maloney now I'm going to use Ross as my main line out guy um, I'm going with a 6-2 split in the bench um, I'm going to have Kieran Treadwell and I'm going to have Finney Mitchell there as a sort of a swing man who can cover in the uh, back row if you want to go that way and in the front row um, we want to try and get as much size as possible into this team as we can because we want to play that on-ball style of rugby that when the Ireland team kicks to us we want to be able to hang on to that ball and be able to grind through the phases on them really that's what that, that like that that's where we want to go so um in the back row 
I am going to go with Kian Prendergast as my half lock. I'm going to put Gavin Coombs at number eight. And I'm going to go with John Hodnett at number seven. Um, I think that with that combination of half lock, half lock power forward, and a strike wing forward in John Hodnett, we have the firepower that we can A, retain the ball against them. We've got a lot of line out options as well. We've got the power carrying as well to reset and to trouble them um, physically. And we also have a scrum that I think could really put a lot of pressure on them also. Um, my replacement, um, other small forward on the bench is going to be Alex Kendallin. Um I was kind of in two minds there as to go with Nick Timoney or to go with, um, you know, the likes of Connor Oliver. Good players, but again, cohesion. I'm liking what I see from Alex Kendallin. I think physically, looking at the evidence of the uh, URC semi-final, he's reached another level when it comes to the physicality as well. Now, when it comes to the um, halfbacks, it's a difficult one. Um, I'm going to go with Quail and Blade to start at nine. Um, he's far from the perfect nine, but he's got tempo, pace, and with the short ball game we're going to be playing, I like the tempo plus his ability to hit those short passes. At 10, I'm going to go with uh, Joey Carberry. I think that with his head right on after the summer off, I think it's a good place to be in. Also, tactically quite disciplined. He'll understand and and be able to relate what we're doing um, from a, uh, a physical perspective. He'll understand the role we're playing, but be able to implement it as well. In midfield, I'm going to go with Antoine Frisch and James Hume. I'm hoping that with that uh, selection in this possible squad, we can get James Hume back to the level that he was at. Whether they're at 12 or 13, I think both of them are comfortable in both slots, both 12 and 13. Um, we're going to need them to be able to recycle and retain the ball as much as possible as well. So I, I like James Hume at his peak. I felt he was really, really good at that. Antoine Frisch, we know, can operate as, as a sort of a alternate... Um, handler of the ball too so he would be my auxiliary handler there as well we need guys who can constantly refresh our our lines of running and our our phase structure so i like to look at those guys in that role my back three is going to be robert balakoon it's going to be calvin nash and it's going to be mike haley in my back three uh, mike haley just gives us real solidity when ireland look to play counter transition we know he's going to be solid under the high ball we know he's going to be solid on the run back he's a big physical runner uh with Robert Balakoon again, aerial threat. We know that we'll have that too. We're going to be kicking to that back pain of Ireland quite a bit after we run them through the phases. So we like Rob, Robert Balakoon's size. Um, on the bench, by the way, um, for our replacement scrum half and uh, and ten, we're going to go with a, a a six a six two split. So we're going to go with um, Nathan Doak and Kieran Frawley is who we're going to go with on our six two split bench. So with that there's a guys who were unlucky there I think Shane Daly would be unlucky here I've gone with Robert Balakoon in that role because again we're going to need height on that right wing to match up with that um, Ireland you know uh, back pin defensive alignment so I, I like Robert Balakoon there um, if we were playing a, 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 a series against him, I would alternate Shane Daly in there as well. Calvin Nash, I think, is a guy who gives you really solid kicking option as an outside winger. He also gives you the sort of cover that you would want in, because we're, we're, I'll, I'll be putting him in that 11 jersey. So I, I think that he would give us way better handling than he's given credit for, but a really good finisher as well. Um, his work under the high ball has is, is, is also come on an awful lot too, so I put him in there. And I think that they would match up quite well. Um, certainly we'd be looking to try and roll through the phases when Ireland kicked to us we're going to hang on to that ball so we're going to run back on transition big focus on 
we're going to hit that transition zone first we're going to blow them out of that first defensive ruck and then we're going to go we're just going to play it nice and tight we don't have to go forward the whole time we'll build our structures behind when we see that opportunity we want to get that ball back we're going to kick high and contestable in behind James Lowe and in front of Hugo Keenan and make them come for it that's when I want James Hume that's when I want John Honda that's when I want Robert Balakoon. that's when I want them chasing really hard there because Ireland won't be able to set up an escort in that area of the pitch so we want to put them under big pressure and I think that Ireland's scrum would come under pressure from our possible scrum because I've gone with really good scrummagers first of all we want to take them on like I think John Ryan up against the likes of Andrew Porter I think that's a really great matchup for us in the scrum regardless of who they bring on on the bench or whatever else and I think with Roman Salanoa coming off we've got the power to keep going also um, I think that Possibles team with enough cohesion could give them a game for sure um, so that's a really interesting question thank you very much thank you very much for that Mike um, so the other questions that I got in um, were to do very recently because there's other questions too I'll be putting in a different podcast this week um, but they were about the seven month split um, from South Africa at the weekend um, a lot of commentary about it being against the spirit of the game a lot of commentary about you know should it be allowed look I think that it was a big risk for South Africa to run a seven month split it actually really was um, two injuries absolutely crucified him right if they got an injury to either Manny Libok or a knock to Damien Willemsa all of a sudden their entire fucking backline is out of alignment and they're almost incapable of winning a serious game if that it, it with a seven month split because they had Kobus Reinach on the bench who is a wing nine right so he's when you see him playing as a scrum half he's essentially playing as a winger right so they can come on and have him cover as a winger as well now if they lost Manny Libok they would put Damien Williams in a 10 straight away then they're a worse team right because Damien Williams is a great player but I don't think he's at like the 10 they need so then you would have okay well maybe they'd put um, just looking at the game of the weekend maybe they'd put um, a Rinsat fullback um, straight away to become vulnerable then under the high ball um, I think New Zealand would be able to adapt and, and target them in that area of the field but um, you're looking at an injury then to Damien Williams and all of a sudden they have nowhere to go they've absolutely nowhere to go like you bring on Quagga Smith and he'd maybe cover as a winger maybe at a pinch in midfield um, but the minute that they have two injuries in the back line um, they're struggling if those aren't just straight up winger for winger because you know Quagga Smith could come on and play as a winger easily but if they have an injury, an injury at nine for example like that's the whole thing done because then Reinach would come on for the, the nine in this instance and then that's that if there's any other injuries you've got either Quagga Smith fills in which to be fair he, he could be capable of doing he's a very skilled player um, or it's absolutely in ruins that's the risk of a 7-1 which to be fair they only took because look it's a warm up they wanted to see what it looked like um, and Willie Roo pulled out before the game so they may use it again in future but it's such a high risk choice for them that the idea that it should be banned or that it's against the spirit of the game honestly look I think that's just ridiculous just the sort of pearl clutching hysteria that we've seen from the Irish media whenever a World Cup comes around oh the big bad Springboks have got seven forwards on the bench all this talk uh, like it's just to me it's just soft it just shows 
real fear of the Springboks. A lot of guys are afraid of being proven wrong with all the shit they've been talking about the Springboks and to an extent John Clayne as well. So when I see this shit, I'm just like, I can't believe that there's adults that are talking about, oh, it's against the spirit of the game, it should be banned, it's a safety violation, all this other stuff. Look, this is nonsense. We know this. But to me, it's 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 a thing of nothing. It's just, that's the bench they've gone with. It has, you know, it's got a big plus, obviously, but it's got massive drawbacks as well. And it's a massive gamble. So if they were to do it against Ireland, for example, yeah, look, they'd certainly be very physically imposing. But the minute there was an injury to their nine or to any one of their other back row players or their, their backline players, straight away, they have to, like, they're, they're immediately disjointed. And a, a team as smart as Ireland would be taking advantage of that and hurting them relentlessly there. So to me, it's just, it's a, it's a non-factor. It's just, again, a bit of springbok hysteria where guys are just terrified of getting beaten up by the big Brad, you know, springboks. To me, it's just, you take these teams on like for like, you run the risk of when they when they do a 7-1, yeah, they're going to be very strong in the second half physically, but you'd expect that anyway. And I would expect a team like Ireland to be able to make them pay for, you know, that sort of decision. So, yeah, look, to me, it's a thing of nothing. Um, and again, it's just a lot of fellas who are just demanding to be outraged over this stuff, but then having to gall to claim that, oh, we're the ones who are causing the outrage. Like, nah, lads, dropping a monocle over that into their pims. Not for me. Um... To me, it's just a, another innovation that's in the game that, you know, you know maybe we could look at it and, 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 you know, see what it's like on its merits rather than just going straight away. we got to ban this. But yeah, uh, thank you very much for your questions. Thank you very much for your, 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 your mailbag questions. I've, like I said, I've got a lot to catch up on. So I'm recording another one straight after this podcast that I will put out on maybe Thursday or Friday um, on the five euro tier. So if you have any other questions that you'd like added in, send them in to me, info.tierkings.com or find that channel on the TRK Secret Club. And uh, I will just go back now to starting talking into this mic again straight away after I press stop here. And I'll talk to you again very, very soon.